Hello everyone, you're listening to the Her Head in Films podcast. I'm your host, my name is Caitlin, and um, I created this podcast recently, um, a few months ago, because I live in a rural area of the South, and I don't really have anyone to talk to about uh, art house cinema or foreign films, which are the films that I love to watch. So I created this podcast as an outlet to talk about my passion for cinema. Um, If you're wondering about the title of the podcast, if you're new to the podcast, um, I've told this story before I tell it in each episode. It basically comes from an email that I wrote to a friend a few years ago. At the time, I was intensely obsessed with cinema, and I said something like, my head isn't in the clouds, my head is in films. And so it just became this inside joke. You know, I would say, oh, my head's in the, my head is in films right now. So when I got to thinking about starting a podcast, I thought that that would be the perfect way to convey my passion and my absorption in cinema. And so um, that is where the title comes from, if you were wondering. I do apologize if you hear a clicking noise in the background, you probably do. Um, That's my fan. I live in the South, the Deep South, even though today is February 24th, it got up to 80 degrees today. So I need my fan. It's in my bedroom and it just makes that clicking sound and I do apologize and I don't have any kind of software to edit it out. This is a pretty uh, simple podcast. I don't have any kind of fancy, um, you know, fancy tools that I use. I just use the microphone on my Chromebook and then I upload it. So I do apologize if that bothers you, but that is the reason why I have it. Uh, Today's episode, I wanted to dedicate to the My French Film Festival. I was lucky that recently I got to watch several of the films that were available and you can go to myfrenchfilmfestival.com and learn more about the festival. It happens once a year. Um, it's already passed this year for 2017, so maybe you can uh, participate in it next year. But it basically just offers short films and feature films uh, from France that are in French. It offers them at a very low price. The short films are always free. And then the feature films, I think this year you got like maybe 13 films for like $5.99. So about $6 you got like 13 feature French films. So um, I was able to watch several of the films. Um, I didn't watch all of them. I only watched the ones that really interested me and that I was drawn to. And most of them are either by women or they star women. Um, Not all of them. But the ones that I was, the ones that I gravitated towards, um, did tend to deal with women's lives, and so those are the ones that I'm going to talk about. And um, I, some of you may know if you follow me on Twitter, um, I do love French cinema, and it was my entry into um, art house cinema and foreign film. It was really French films that um, sort of sparked my love of film. Um, I watched The Passion of Joan of Arc by uh, Carl Theodore Dreyer uh, years ago. Um, I don't know when. It was it was quite a few years ago. It was before 2010, I'm pretty sure. And um, I watched it on Turner Classic Movies one night. Uh, Robert Osborne um, introduced it. 
and I had never watched a silent film before. I mean, I don't think I had. can't remember if this was when I took that film appreciation class in high school. Um, I have a, an episode where I talk about that, and I'll, I'll put the link in the description. But I really got into film when I took this film appreciation class when I was in high school. Um, so like, you know, a teen, my late teens or whatever. And, um, I can't remember if I saw it before or after that class. Probably after. And, um, it just, uh, it grabbed me and I loved it. Even though it's a silent film, it, it, I think it's still considered French. Um, I think the, the title cards were in French or whatever. And they were translated into English. And I have an obsession with Joan of Arc. I don't know why. I wish I could explain it. But I am fascinated by her. I think I'm fascinated by... I'm not religious, so I don't know what she heard or what the voices were in her head. But I just always found it really compelling that this young, poor girl, you know, this girl from this little village, you know, leaves her village and goes out and tries to save her country. It's a really extraordinary story, if you think about it. So, um... Maria Falconetti just obsessed me. Her face, that film is so visceral. Even though it was made, what, almost a hundred years ago now? It is still so contemporary and so modern in in the way that it was shot and the way that it looks. It feels like, I don't know, you just feel like you could see Maria Falconetti walking down the street, you know, with the shaved head and, and um, it just, it feels very contemporary to me and it really captured me. And then a few years ago, about 2011, I watched La Jetée by Chris Marker. And so that's another really famous French film. And um, I really fell in love with it. So French film has been really integral to my life. It's really been the entry point for me into art house cinema and into foreign film. And so I watch a lot of French films. Um, I watch French films every week honestly, you know, because uh, I'm watching films constantly. I usually watch maybe a film a day, sometimes two. It depends on what kind of mood I'm in. But I'm always watching French cinema. And so I was really compelled when I heard about my French film festival. I didn't know about it, and I didn't know that it was an annual event. And so I thought, well, I'll watch it. And I started with some of the short films, and then I went into the feature films. So I'm going to talk about some of the short films. The first film that I watched was called Veil of Silence. And it was by Julie Gourdain. I really liked this one. Um, it's about a young girl, probably 16 or 17, in France in the 1960s. And she becomes pregnant and she's sent to a home with other pregnant girls and so she lives there. It was about a 30 minute film but it was really good. It was very spare, uh, very sparely um, uh, directed. Um, it certainly had the feel of the 1960s in France. What I liked about it was I, I'm always drawn to films that sort of take place in convents. I don't know why. I don't know if it was a convent she was sent to, but it seemed to be run sort of by nuns or something. And, um, I don't know. I think stories about pregnancy, especially teen pregnancy, are very interesting. 
here in the United States, uh, several years ago, we had this sort of hysteria surrounding teen pregnancy. There were these shows on MTV. There was one called 16 and Pregnant. There were different documentaries made about it. It was seen as this huge public health concern that these teenage girls were getting pregnant. I myself had a close friend when I was younger. She was about five or six years older than me. So I was about 10 or 11 and she was like 16 and she became pregnant. And she actually got thrown out of the house. Uh, her parents threw her out of the house and me and her lost touch. And even to this day, I have not seen her. I was friends with her on Facebook for a little while and then I unfriended her. <laughs> I'm not going to go into it. But, um, but she's okay now. She has a family. She's married. She has a lot more kids. Um, but it was it was a difficult experience for her and so what we see in 1960s France is something that we see even today which is young girls who get pregnant are stigmatized they are marginalized and a lot of it comes down to a fear of female sexuality especially when what we see happening in the United States right now we have a very conservative majority in our Congress and in our president and they want to defund Planned Parenthood, which is an organization that helps a lot of low-income women get abortions, but also get um, health care and, um, uh, you know, mammograms and birth control and, and all of those things. And honestly, a lot of the people who are anti-abortion are also anti-birth control. It's, it's very contradictory. It doesn't make any sense, really. Uh, but that's what you have. And so I am always interested in stories about pregnant teenage girls because I think they become so stigmatized and they're very lonely because when you're a child, when you're a teenager, you have no idea what it means to take care of another, of a child, of another person. You're not necessarily prepared for it, you know, and you grow up very fast and, um, I remember when I was growing up, there were several movies about teenage pregnancy. It was something that was very prevalent in our culture. And so I thought the short film was really strong. It's about a girl. She goes into the convent or the home, you know, with the other girls. And she meets one girl that's going to keep her baby. Remember that Madonna song, Papa Don't Preach, I'm Going to Keep My Baby? I love that song. I probably loved it when I was little and didn't realize what it was about. But, um... But the main character in this short film, she is going to let her baby be adopted. She's going to have to let the baby go. But when she sees this other girl who's going to keep her child, she wants to keep her child too. And so she gives birth, and then one night she goes into the nursery, and she tries to steal the baby, and she tries to leave with it. And of course she's not able to. And it's a very heartbreaking scene. Because, I mean, if you really think about it, the horror and the pain of carrying a child to term and then having to give that child up and you don't want to it's one thing if you want to but often the people that have to give their children up are poor they want to keep their baby but they can't afford to and so you see how pregnancy plays out across lines about along class lines and um it's heartbreaking because she wants to keep that child and she can't and at the end her mom comes and um, picks her up and is going to take her home. And 
you you see that she has changed she's not the same girl she was before she got pregnant she has been irreparably you know damaged by this experience and and just traumatized by having to give her child up because obviously her parents made her give the child up and so it's but the ending is really interesting because and she's in the car with her mother and then she gets out of the car and she just starts walking and we don't know where she goes we don't know what she's going to do but there's this sense that she can't go back to the person she was before she can't go back to the life she had before she is forever changed and um, I mean the film was only 30 minutes long but it was powerful and it was interesting and it held my attention and I I could have seen that as like a feature film honestly I thought Julie Gordain did a wonderful job with that film the second short film that I watched was called Mama and it was by Memuna Ducure and it was also very strong and very good it might have been around 20 or 30 minutes long it's about a young girl living in France with her parents and they're from Senegal they're Senegalese and the father when the movie starts the father isn't there it's just the little girl and her mother and her brother her older brother and then all of a sudden her father's there and he's with another woman and that woman has a baby and it turns out that the father is going to marry this second woman and he's going to take a second wife and so that's why the title is mama and it's m-a-m-a-n and then the s is in parentheses to to, to let us know that this is about two mothers and um, the movie is really about the little girl struggling with why her father has taken on this second wife but for me even though the main character is the little girl I find the the first mother to be really interesting because she is absolutely incensed about what has happened you know one day she has her husband her little girl her son and then all of a sudden she has to endure her husband bringing in a second woman into the marriage and so the movie is about that dynamic and she's very upset and she's very mad and she doesn't like it and you can tell and she makes it very clear that she's pissed with what's happening and she is helpless I mean I guess she doesn't feel like she could really support herself in France they are immigrants so it really speaks to also the immigrant experience in France um, but you know I don't think we necessarily have to be in that same exact position to sort of understand what that mother is going through she feels trapped in her life and trapped in her situation and I think that it can speak to any of us who feel trapped in something you know I've had moments in my life in my family where things have happened and it's been really difficult and I've realized that I can't leave and I can't support myself and I can't live on my own and I just have to get through it and so I kind of really empathized with her and I really felt for her and her pain you know in in trying to deal with what her husband has done and uh, putting up with it you know she's basically got to just get through it you know and the little girl the second mother has an infant an infant child that she brings and 
near the end of the film the little girl steals the baby and she goes and puts the baby in like the trash area there's like this trash room and so she thinks that she can just sort of you know because she's a child and she thinks that she can just make it go away she can just uh, put the child in, in a trash can and make all the problems go away and of course she can't she can't do that and it's really about her coming to terms with this very difficult situation and this new reality that she has to navigate as a young child and I, from what I can remember, I watched these movies several weeks ago, so I'm sorry if I can't remember specific details of everything. But um, she sort of ends with her, with her mother, and they're sort of laughing. And I do get the sense that these two, they're going to get through it, the mother and the child, because they have a bond and they love each other. And I think as, as in pain as the mother is, she's going to just have to get through it for her children and um it was a really good film it's another one of those where it's, it could have been a feature film and um i think it would have been really really interesting another short film and this is the last short film i'm going to talk about was um it was about francoise d'orliac and um in 1964, Philippe Labro, he did a film called uh, 4XD, and it was like a little documentary about four French actresses, all with the last name that started with D. So that's where the 4XD comes from. <coughs> and one of the actresses that he profiled was Francoise Dorliac. And as some of you may know, she is Catherine Deneuve's sister. She was. She was famous in her time. She was up and coming. She was an up and coming actress. She was in her 20s. And unfortunately, in 1967, she was killed in an automobile accident. And so this year, 2017, marks the 50th anniversary of her death. <clears throat> It's only like a four-minute film. It's like an extract. It, it's sort of like scenes that didn't make it into the finished film, the finished documentary. And it just shows her dancing. It shows her going into a cafe. And it really captures her, her charisma. Because I've always preferred Dorliac to Deneuve. I like Catherine Deneuve. I think she is... She's very icy. She's very beautiful, fine cheekbones, you know, very elegant looking. Um, but to me, Dorliac always had something uh, unnameable. I don't know. She had like a, there was a sadness about her eyes. and But yet she was very exuberant, very full of life. And she didn't really, she didn't get to make very films very many films before she died but I've always found her very charismatic and beautiful and glamorous and sort of the quintessential French girl I guess you could say and so I really enjoyed watching her dance and just be her and be beautiful and I think uh, those of us in the United States we attach a certain amount of glamour to French women and um, we always see them as very glamorous and elegant and 
I, I myself do, you know, I, I guess I, in a way, wish I was a French girl or something. Um, so I, I do love Francoise, and it was just lovely to see her alive, and to see her young and beautiful, and that's what she'll always be in our minds, and so I thought that was a, I think that, I thought that was like a sweet little inclusion into the festival, and I did enjoy it. I did enjoy it, so... Okay, so now I'm going to segue into the feature films. The first one that I watched was called Mocha, M-O-K-A. I'm not sure what that means or what that translates into. It was never explained what the title means. Um, so I'm not totally sure. Let me see. Translate. I'm going to put it into Google Translate. Mocha pay. It's saying that it's Lithuanian and that it means pay to pay. So that's interesting. Hmm. It's it's an it was a decent film. It is by Frederick Mermood and it starred Emmanuel Devos or Devos and Natalie Bay. And I do apologize if I don't pronounce all these names correctly. Um, I like Emmanuel. I like her very much. She was in a film that I really love called uh, Violette, um, which was about Violette Leduc, the French writer. And I watched that a few months ago and really loved it. And it led me to Leduc's... Uh, literature into her books and I have read read one of them I read Therese and Isabel and really liked it so I like Emmanuel and her film when if she's in a film I'm probably gonna watch it because I just think she's very interesting looking she's very different looking and she has like the substance about her that I really like and um I hadn't seen Natalie Bay in a lot, but she actually was in a couple of the films on the My French Film Festival. But Mocha's about Emmanuel. She loses her young son to a hit and run, and through a private investigator, she somehow figures out the people that committed the hit and run, and she insinuates herself into their lives and confronts them about what they did. I didn't think it was a really strong film. I was attracted to it because I thought, oh, it's going to be about grief. And uh, grief is something that I explore a lot in my writing and in my in what I do and in my life. Um, I have a blog about grief. And um, I'll put that in, in the description of the episode as well. So that you can look at it if you're interested at all. Um, so I was attracted to the film for that reason. But I didn't think that it it wasn't necessarily an in-depth film about grief. Um, you didn't get much of a sense of that. Of, of Emmanuel being a grieving mother. It just didn't have enough substance for me. The film. And um... 
and she sort of confronts them at the end and it it sort of has a strange ending and mm, I don't know I don't have much to say about it and I think that says everything you know I don't I just don't have a lot to say about the film it was okay you know it was just one of those films that was okay you watch it maybe because it has good actors in it or the story interests you and it just never felt like it really got off the ground or it really went anywhere and you never got the sense of her grief you never got the sense of this is a woman on a mission she has to find out who killed her kid there wasn't any emotion you know what I mean I guess I'm someone who wants a little I don't want it to be overwrought you know I don't want it to be over overly melodramatic or anything but I want there to be something there something that you can grab onto and I didn't I just didn't get that and I thought the plot was a bit weak I mean somehow she finds out you know who hit who did the hit and run and then confronts them about it and it just didn't totally come together for me personally so but it may interest you and you can seek it out if you would like um so the next film I watched was called Parisian um the French title was Per de Rien which I think means fear nothing or fearless or something like that but the English title is Parisian and it was directed by Lebanese French director Danielle Arbid and it stars the really wonderful Manal Issa who is also in a recent fil film about terrorism in France called Noctur Nocturama I want to say Nocturama let me see if I have that right Nocturama yeah but Parisian is her first film and it's wonderful I really liked this film I loved that it was directed by a woman I loved that it was that it had a, a up-and-coming actress I love that it was set in the 90s I love that it's about the, an immigrant in France and um, so Manal Issa plays a young Lebanese girl who moves to France from Lebanon she moves there for school she's only there to go to college to go to the university and um, she lives with her aunt and uncle and the movie begins with her uncle coming on to her and he wants to have sex with her and of course she's not having it and she gets really really upset and she runs from the house and she refuses to go back and so she's basically homeless and so the film is really about how she navigates life on her own in France and it's set in the 1990s she goes to university she goes to school goes to different classes and um, there are quite a few scenes of her in school at the university there's like a literature class that's really good I always like you know I always like uh, classroom scenes like you know when professors say all these profound things and you can tell that being in college is really um, expanding her mind and I think at first she's gonna study economics or something but then she starts to get interested in liberal arts and in literature and she wants to change her major and so 
she kind of tries to uh, do that and she has a nice uh, female professor that's very nice to her and sort of helps her with things and um it's you know it's maddening and it shows some of the issues that immigrants have to go through in france specifically but i would also think in other countries immigrants have to go through similar things you know she has like a permit to be in the country um but she needs like another permit and she has to show like a doctor she has to go like get looked at by a doctor and and um she's already done that but it's not recent enough so she has to go back again and like there's this bureaucracy involved in it and um she can't work she's not supposed to work when she's in france she's only supposed to study and if she does work she can only work so many hours like maybe part-time i guess you could say and but because she left her aunt and uncle she has to work more she has to work more hours and so she gets in trouble for that because she's having to work more than they want her to work and um so she's dealing with that well she's got to find a way to make money right i mean it's kind of ridiculous that they won't let her work more because um, she's trying to support herself so you see how she's sort of caught in in this bureaucracy in this in all the paperwork and all the you know just the ridiculous stuff that people have to go through um but she navigates it she gets through it she does her best with it and um she has several relationships with men in the movie that's an important part of the narrative you know she's on her own and i think that she men become a source of support for her she doesn't have a lot of friends um she's exploring her sexuality and um some of, i mean the scenes are sort of intense at times the this there are you know some graphic sexual scenes um but they were tastefully done i thought because you get the sense of a young woman exploring her sexuality exploring desire you know um trying to figure out her relationships with men you know one man she gets with he's married and shows she's more of a mistress another guy she gets with he's like um he's sort of a musician and so he's much more poetic and romantic and i thought that relationship was really sweet and then the third guy she gets involved but he like leaves he just all of a sudden up and leaves he goes to the united states and um while she's back home she goes and visits lebanon again she goes to see her her mother and her father's actually dying and um she gets into a fight with her uncles over her father and um you can see that i think i mean i don't know what it means to be an immigrant i don't want to speak for immigrants i don't want to impose my ideas of what it's like to be an immigrant but i would think this is just what i believe i would think that you would feel a bit bifurcated a bit torn between your life in your home country for her lebanon and the life in your new country for her would be france and french culture and you get the sense that when she goes back to lebanon she feels suffocated she feels 
she doesn't like her mom very much. Her and her mother clash a lot. Um, you get the sense that she doesn't really want to be in Lebanon. And um, that things are very difficult there. And that she wants to escape it. She wants to have her life in France. But at the same time, she seems very lonely in France. And I, I sometimes wonder if, if immigrants are sort of almost fated to always feel lonely. Or to always feel... Um, to feel like strangers, in a way. Because it's a different culture and often those cultures don't want them or may make them feel like outsiders or foreigners and may not accept them um i do wonder if there is an inherent loneliness to being an immigrant um once again i don't want to speak for that though i just wonder you know i would think it would be very lonely and in, in a way there would be a loneliness involved in it and I, I see a loneliness about her, even though she's with these different men and she has maybe a few friends. She just seems very lonely and she's trying to, it's a story about coming of age. It's about her trying to find her way and find her place in French society. And, um, and so for that reason, I thought it was very interesting and I thought it was very compelling and um, at the end, uh, they're going to deport her. They're going to make her go back to Lebanon. And um, she gets a lawyer. She gets in a lawyer who helps her. And she actually becomes involved with the lawyer's son, who is like this... I think he's a leftist. He's very radical. He's like this very radical uh, guy. He's at the university, too. And he writes for like... Um, he has like this little newspaper or something, that, a radical newspaper that he publishes and disseminates uh, in the area. So he's very committed to like radical politics and, um, and at the end she goes to immigration court and you see these other immigrants who are there and one of them has like children, I think, who were like born in France. and. Um, and you see the the fate of each of those people like the woman gets deported they're going to make her go back to the country that she originally came from and but um but the character in Parisian she gets to stay she she is able to stay and she's obviously very happy with that cuz she fought to stay and she didn't want to be deported back to Lebanon and so that's basically how it ends, is her getting to stay in Paris, getting to stay in France. And um, I just, I thought it was like a really good coming of age film about a young woman navigating a new life in France. And so I really liked it. And so if you're able to see it, I would definitely recommend it to you. Um, I thought it was one of the stronger films um, that was offered. <clears throat> and the next film that I'm going to talk about is sort of connected to that in a way. It's called A Decent Man, but it, the title is actually more interesting than that. It's called Je ne suis pas... Wait. 
called something else. It's something like Je ne suis pas salute, la salute, or la salute, or unsalute. It's something, I think it means I'm not a bastard or something, I think. It's, I don't know French really great, but I think that's what the French title is. I'm always interested in, like, films get, like, a French title, and then they get, like, an English title, and sometimes those titles are really, really so different. Uh, I thought it was interesting that Parisian was called Perdurian, you know, no fear, fear of nothing. Because the main character, she's actually very fearless in the way that she lives her life. But A Decent Man is really about, um, it's about immigrants in France, and it's about how white masculinity in France is being destabilized, and it, how it's in crisis. And it's something that we also see happening in the United States and in other parts of Europe and the West. And it's directed by Emmanuel Finkiel. And it stars Nicolas du Duvauchel as the main character. And Driss Romdi as, as an immigrant man named Ahmed. And so what happens is that the main character of A Decent Man... I really should look to see what his name is. Je ne suis pas un salut. Yeah. I am not a bastard. Yeah. I think that's what that means. I just want to get their names right. Hmm. Eddie. Okay. Eddie. So, uh, Nicolas Duvauchel plays Eddie, a working-class white man in France. I'm not sure if it's Paris or not. And he is jobless. He doesn't have a job, and he goes to... Um, it reminded me a lot of A Measure of a Man by Stéphane Brise, which you should absolutely watch. It's on Netflix in the U.S., and it's like a must-see about class and globalization and how workers are undermined in the world today and capitalism how capitalism is failing us but um but i've gone on a tangent so a decent man is about eddie he's white he's working class he doesn't have a job he goes to a job training program and in the class they are doing they're basically role-playing with interviews with job interviews and so they see this video of this guy and it's it's obviously a muslim man or a, a man of middle eastern descent and he's answering the questions and doing the interview and eddie watches that okay you know it's it's fine a few days later eddie is out he's trying he's divorced or estranged from his wife and he's trying to pick up a girl from a bar and they're going home I guess they're going to her place or maybe his place I'm not sure and um they come upon a robbery somebody's stealing something out of a car 
and Eddie confronts them and then a group of men start to gather a group of men of color black and brown men and they start to beat Eddie up and somebody stabs him very badly and he ends up in the hospital so he's in the hospital he wakes up the police interview him he says um, in his initial statement he says they called out some kind of name and the police say well that kind of sounds like Ahmed the name Ahmed and they say could the man that did this to you have been named Ahmed and at that time Driss Romdi's character his name is Ahmed and he is he is the guy that was in the interview that Eddie saw so Eddie saw his face in this in this job training video Eddie transplants Ahmed's face from the job interview video to his attacker because that guy didn't attack him he didn't but um they round up men who are named Ahmed in the area so they're rounding up these immigrant men these men of these you know Muslim men and they bring them in for a lineup and Eddie picks out Ahmed the guy that he saw in the job training video and so Ahmed gets put in prison and he has a girlfriend who's pregnant and they were gonna get an apartment and he was trying to get his life together and you know just live his life and all of a sudden the police just on the word of this guy of Eddie they put him in prison and they put him in jail awaiting trial and um you know Ahmed's friends get upset about it and they start to threaten Eddie and uh, Eddie gets upset about that and at the same time he's trying to reestablish a relationship with his wife who he was estranged from and his son he gets a job where she works she works at a place that's sort of similar to maybe Walmart but would be in France it's not called Walmart it's called Homea H-O-M-E-A I believe and it's a very degrading job you know it's a service job it's you're it's working at this big box store where you're not really a person you know you have to do very degrading work it's maybe not necessarily the kind of work that he wants to do it's a very low-wage job he doesn't like the salary but he he takes the job because he needs the job and she put in a word for him with her boss to get him the job and so he feels like well if he takes this job then he'll get in a better relationship with his wife and child and um but it's 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 a job that he doesn't want to do that he probably feels like is beneath him because he trained for sales he wants to be in the sales department and he asks the guy you know can I do sales because that's what I've been trained in that's what I'm good at and the guy doesn't care he's like well this is the position that I'm gonna give you and you're just gonna have to deal with it um, it's just very degrading you know you know it's not even doesn't even pay well and you know you have to work long hours and you know it's just it's how a lot of people work nowadays you know it's long hours it's 
You don't have any control over your life. You're not getting paid enough to survive on. And um, so you see all that in Eddie's story. You know, you see how working class people of all races, this is not just about the white working class. Unfortunately, that's become a buzzword, a buzz phrase in the United States, you know, the white working class. And it's just so frustrating. People of all races, all genders, are dealing with the effects of capitalism and globalization in the ability of corporations to devalue workers the way that corporations have fought against unions, the way corporations have fought against paying people living wages, um, the way work has changed in the West and how it's very difficult to make a living or to make ends meet anymore. And of course that anger sometimes gets directed at immigrants or gets directed at people of color. And that's a very real thing that's happening in the populism that you see rising in different uh, countries. And you see it in Eddie's story. You see how this white male who's been taught of, you know, that you should be strong and you should be the breadwinner and you should be able to take care of your family. And he can't do it. And his masculinity is very much in crisis. And, um... But you also see what happens to Ahmed, you know, an immigrant in France who's trying to uh, make a better life for himself and to make a life for him and his girlfriend and child. So you have these two men and they want similar things and their lives have converged through an act of violence. Um, an act of violence that one of them, Ahmed, was not even involved in. And... Um, and gradually as the film goes on, Eddie becomes more and more unraveled, more and more destabilized. He thinks that his wife is having an affair or has some kind of relationship with the boss at the place where they work. Um, he feels like his son doesn't give him enough deference and enough respect. He has outbursts of violence. Um, he's a He's an angry, angry man. He's an angry person. And Nicholas Duvachel uh, does a really great job in, in the part. Because you see those tensions flare up. And you see that this man is on the verge of breaking. And um, how in many ways society has put him in that position. You know, because of the job he has. Because of this feeling that he doesn't have mobility, that he, he cannot have a better life. He can't provide for his family. He can't um, do the things that he would like to do. And of course, that manifests in versions in kinds of violence, you know. The violence that was done to him by those, those men at night when he was knifed, that comes from poverty too. That comes from economic insecurity and financial insecurity of these young men turning to crime or turning to stealing from cars. That comes from their, you know, um, economic precariousness. And then he himself is economically precarious and in a very difficult position and he starts to act out in violent ways. 
um, because masculinity has become so toxic in the world today where men are taught and men are shown that the only way to be men is to be violent and is to assert your domination and your dominance and to hate you know and there's there's this amazing scene where he's in a traffic it's like a traffic jam like the traffic's not moving eddie and his wife are in the car and she says you're hateful she says you're full of hate you're full of hate and um gradually he starts to realize that Ahmed did not stab him he starts to realize it there is no proof that Ahmed was there um he goes to meet with prosecutors and the judge and they they ask him again you know is this the guy that you saw and I think he starts to realize that he pointed to the wrong person and he starts to see that he could get in trouble for it um and he's trying to deal with that of of what he's done to someone else and i think the title comes from the moment at the end when he goes into court and he could easily say he could easily keep saying ahmed did this he did this to me he stabbed me and even though his life is shit even though he is a violent man he's a bad man in many ways he's not a decent man there is an irony to that title he's not a decent person he is violent his at this point his wife has thrown him out of the house because he was violent with their child there's a very intense scene where he attacks their their son she's thrown him out of the apartment he's on the edge he's lost a lot and he goes into court and he says, I made a mistake. It was not Ahmed that did this. It is his moment, I guess you could say, of redemption, even though he has already caused immense damage. And the police system has caused immense damage to Ahmed's life. He has spent months in prison, you know, in jail. But he does stand in front of the court and he says, I made a mistake and it wasn't Ahmed. And so Ahmed's released and then, of course, it doesn't stop there. And there's a very violent scene at the end when he goes and does something horrific. And, um, once again, it just reinforces that he's not a decent man not really you know but he is a man in crisis he is a man who is destabilized and um he's destabilized for many reasons from the economy capitalism globalization a lot of issues there a lot of issues and it comes to a culmination in a final act of horrific violence and um and Ahmed thankfully goes on with his life and we see Ahmed in like a call center he is on a phone and he obviously has a job and um his life gets to go on thankfully he's not in prison he's not in jail but of course 
what what does what does France hold for him? What does this economy hold for him? I've worked in a call center. It's it's not a hopeful job. It's not a hopeful position. It's probably not what he would like to be doing or where he thought his life was going to go. Um but he's doing a lot better than Eddie was, that's for sure. There's a bit of an ambiguous ending about that. It shows how Ahmed and Eddie, both of them, are subject to this form of capitalism that has taken over, that has destabilized workers, that has devalued workers, um, that has made life very difficult for a lot of people in this world today. And unbearable at times, really, you know. But but you're happy that Ahmed is free and that he can go on with his life, even though he now has to continue to live in a society that, you know, dehumanizes him and and puts him at under the surveillance of the state and of police. So it brings up all those issues. There's so much there in that film. I really liked it. I gave it four stars out of five because I thought it was really strong. Would I have preferred it to maybe be from Ahmed's perspective rather than Eddie's? Yes, personally. I think we need more movies about immigrants, more movies about Muslims. Somebody just yelled outside my window. That scared me for a minute. Whew. Um, okay, sorry. <laughs> just scared me. Um, so I think we need as many films as possible about, um, you know, underrepresented, upper, underrepresented and marginalized communities. But I thought this film looked at the immigrant experience and then also looked at sort of the the white you know the white perspective I guess you could say that um that sort of has a hand in that marginalization and causes it so I thought it was a good film I really did Those were like my two favorites out of the French Film Festival, the ones that I watched. I didn't watch all of them. But I did really like Parisian and A Decent Man. I thought those were really strong. Um, the next film that I watched was called Prejudice. It was directed by Antoine Coopers. That's what I'm going to go with. <laughs> um... It stars Thomas Blanchard and also Natalie Bay. Natalie Bay was in Mocha. She plays Thomas Blanchard's um, mother. This is a film that I would categorize under dysfunctional families. It's in. It's very much in that vein of family dysfunction. And it's about the main character, Thomas Blanchard's character. And um, he he has some kind of mental illness. I don't know if it's autism or Asperger's. It's not really explained in the film. 
um, but he has that issue. He has an issue with socializing with people. He doesn't relate to people in the same way that other people do. And he has a sister, and he has a brother. He may have two brothers. Um, and his mom and his dad. He lives with his mom and his dad, Natalie Bay. And um, his sister has an announcement. They all gather for like a lunch or a dinner. And she has an announcement to make that she's having a child. And that announcement sets certain things into motion. And um, Thomas Blanchard's character is is like destabilized by that announcement probably because his life is so different from hers because she has a husband and she's gonna have a child and he doesn't have those things and what comes out at that dinner is a profound sense of alienation within his own family the sense that he is not understood by his family members that he is resented by his family members they don't understand him they don't know how to deal with him because he is so different and he struggles and there was this interesting part of the film i have anxiety and i have depression and so i do struggle with mental illness not to the extreme that thomas blanchard's character does but um but i do have social issues i I do struggle to talk to people because I have social anxiety. And there was this interesting part of the film at the beginning when he goes out to greet people, you know, to say hello to people. He makes he makes a point of when they say hello, how are you? And then he responds, I'm well, I'm fine. How are you? Where he asks them, like that's a big deal for him to say oh how are you too and I was thinking of, of that today actually and how when I'm in social settings and social situations like people especially here in the south it's something that people do too like you know people say hey to you and people say how are you and I you know I tend to just say I'm fine and stop I don't go on with it I don't ask them how they are because personally it just seems disingenuous to me like nobody ever says how are you and then the other person actually says what they think and feel you know what I mean no one says like oh how are you and then you say yeah I'm really like in a shit mood everybody just says I'm fine you know what I mean and it's like well god if we're just gonna just say the same damn thing why do I have to ask you you know why do I have to say oh how are you it just bothers me I don't know but today when I was out and I was you know having to interact with people I tried to make a point of it like when I went to a restaurant or I went to like a store or something and the the and the person asks me oh how are you and I'm like I'm fine and then how are you like I have to like force myself to say it because I just I don't like to personally but that's just me whatever but that's something that's difficult for him it's difficult for him to say well how are you too and to ask people questions and to 
interact with them. It's just very difficult for him. And the movie is about him and his relationship with his family. And I got the sense that they just didn't even know. Like, they couldn't have gone online. They couldn't have said, like, how do I connect with someone with autism or Asperger's or this particular mental illness? How do I... How do I treat them? How do I get the best out of them? It just seemed to me like his family was just so insensitive towards him. Saw him as a burden, yes. But didn't even try to understand what was in his mind. Or why certain things were difficult for him. And he's obsessed with this trip to Austria. He wants to go to Austria. It's this huge deal to him. And he goes on and on about it during the um, the dinner. It's a strange film. I don't even know how to describe it. I'm not going to say I loved it, but it was odd. It had some powerful moments. But he wants to go to Austria. And obviously he doesn't seem like he would be able to really cope with going to another country. Um, and so his mother doesn't really want him to go to Austria. She's very much against it, and that upsets him. And, um, so that starts an argument. And you just get this sense that his relationship with his mother is really complicated. And he loves her, and yet he also hates her because she doesn't understand him. And he feels like he's treated differently than his sib other siblings. And he's mad about that. So it's really a film about all these tensions coming to the surface. All this anger coming to the surface about having a mental illness and feeling like your family and the people in your life don't have any sympathy or compassion for you. That they don't even try to connect with you. They just see you as this burden. They don't even try to understand you. And um, I think a lot of people could relate to that, actually. I myself in my own life feel sometimes like the people in my life, even though I love them very much, I feel like they don't really get it. They don't really understand depression. They don't really understand anxiety. Because they don't live with those things every day of their lives. Every moment of every day of their lives the way I do. And when I'm having a day when the anxiety is bad or the depression is bad, I don't feel like I always get the compassion that I need or the, the sympathy that I need or the support, you know? And so there was a part of me that saw myself in that character, in that, in that young man. Even though my mental illnesses are not as extreme as maybe some people's are or as intense, you know. But I do understand that feeling of estrangement, of feeling like even the people that you love and the people that are supposed to love you can't always give you the support that you need when you're battling a mental illness because they just don't understand it and they don't get it. That something that's simple for them, you know, walking into a store or 
you know, whatever, whatever is so simple and easy for them is insurmountable for you and is absolutely daunting. Absolutely just, you cannot do it, you know. They don't get it. And a lot of people in, in our society don't get it. In our world don't get it when it comes to mental illness. And we don't always get the help and the support that we need. And I feel like that's what that film was partly about, you know. It's also about, you know, family. Family just can hurt you a lot. I don't really believe in blood anymore. I don't really believe in family. I've been through really difficult things in my life. And instead of family being there for me or loving me or supporting me, They've actually abandoned me and made me feel worthless. So I have my mom, and that's my family. And um, everybody else, I don't really consider them family at this point. So that's just my opinion on it. <laughs> I feel like if there are people in your life who are toxic and who are not good for you and who are not enriching your life, and don't care about you, then I think you have every right, whether they're blood or not, to cut those people out of your life and to move on and to try to find people who appreciate you and love you and support you. And if you can't find people like that, you have to give it to yourself. But you have to give yourself permission to let certain people go. If they're hurting you, if they're actively harming and damaging you, you have to move on. You have to let them go. But in Prejudice, Thomas Blanchard's character can't really do that. He's very dependent on his parents. He's not able to live an independent life and to take care of himself. And so, it's a very interesting film. I thought it was very good. The final film that I watched was called Les Ogres. Um, the Ogres. And it was directed by Leah Fainer. Or Fenner. Leah Fenner. It actually had some interesting stars. I actually watched it because of who was in it. <laughs> um, it stars Adele Hanel. I don't know if I'm saying that right. She's in... She's been in a few films. She was in... Celine Sciamma's Water Lilies. You may have seen that. And she was also in the Dardenne Brothers, their latest film, The Unknown Girl. She's quite young. Um, she's quite beautiful as well. And um, so she was in it and Mark Barbie was in it. I really like him. He was in um, La Vie en Rose with Marion Cotillard. He played her voice coach. I always liked him. I thought he was very handsome. And so I had to watch this film because I have a crush on him. <laughs> and um, it's about a, a traveling band of French actors, um, a theater troupe. They stage checkoff plays in various parts of France. They travel in like trailers and stuff like that. 
And I think it's based on some of the director, Leia Fanner's um, family. I think she actually grew up that way or something. And um, she, her father is in the film. And I think her sister is also in the film. I'm just going to get a drink of water. So in a way, like Prejudice, this is a film about family. A, the large family of a traveling theater troupe. And um, it's, it started off pretty good. It started, it starts off with this um, staging of the Chekhov, of a Chekhov play. And it's very exuberant, very full of life. But it just, it it lost its wheels for me. I just, it got to be an exhausting film. Um, I watched it. It was like two hours long, almost two hours long. Um, I loved Adele. I loved Mark Barbie. Wonderful, wonderful. It just didn't come together for me. And like I said, it was just exhausting to watch. Like, I'm sorry, I don't have much energy. I'm like such a low energy person and these people, these actors, were just constantly yelling, constantly dancing, constantly like, even when they weren't on stage, it was just like they were so over the top. The personalities were very over the top. They were clashing, clashing constantly. Fainer's father plays sort of the patriarch of the troop, and he treats his wife terribly and she goes off and gets with someone else and and then Mark Barbie's character he's with Adele they're like boyfriend girlfriend she's pregnant by him he had lost his son to leukemia a few years earlier so he's dealing with the grief of that and then there's just like there's a lot of characters there's a lot going on um, it just never came together to me it just felt like a really maybe self-indulgent film like maybe she wanted to make a film that was based on her family's life or based on an experience that she had growing up in a theater troupe and the idea was very interesting and I think it had a lot of potential but the characters themselves were not fully realized. It maybe would have been interesting to focus on maybe one or two characters instead of having so many that were doing so many different things. Um, you know, Fainer's father, the main character, the patriarch guy, like he, he'd had an affair with a certain woman and then that woman's brought in again and so his wife gets upset about that and I can't even tell you all the different storylines um, that are in it. And Fainer's sister, she's in it. And then she gets upset and she leaves the troop. She doesn't feel, she just feels like her parents, because she's the daughter of the patriarch and she doesn't like the way that he, her parents are acting and so she leaves. and. I didn't really feel invested in any of the characters. I wasn't really sure what the film was trying to say. I didn't feel like there was anything there. You know what I mean? It was a lot of people 
laughing and yelling and getting into brawls and doing crazy stuff but it didn't it didn't have enough substance for me personally you know it was interesting to watch it had it had an exuberance about it and I thought the performances were really strong by the main actors they gave it all they had you know I thought it had a lot of potential I gave it like three stars out of five you know I didn't hate it um it just got it got exhausting at times you know to and it really showed you how actors there's so much ego right they all want to be seen they all want want attention they want you know they want the spotlight and so the ego the egotism and the arrogance definitely comes out in that way um but there was so much drama there was so much just over the top drama that um I, I just didn't take to it, you know, as much as I did some of the other films that I watched. So, I felt like in the My French Film Festival, I felt like there were definitely some important films like Parisian and A Decent Man who were trying to tell stories about um, immigrants in France, trying to talk about modern day France where people are struggling and um, things are changing very quickly because of globalization because of the economy and yet you had a film like Prejudice that was very personal that was about not the country but about the family you know the family unit and the damage that can be done to an individual when their family doesn't try harder hard enough to really understand them and then you had some short films that were very promising like Veil of Silence and Mama um, and I hope to see Julie Gourdain and Mamuna Ducare um, do more and hopefully they'll do feature films and they'll make some you know some longer films because I think that those women definitely have something to say about women's lives so I thought there was a good mix of stuff you know in the my French film festival I wish I could have watched more films but um I started one I just didn't get into it you know there were some that I started that I just mm, yeah I just didn't get into them you know what I mean so if I'm not really feeling a film when I watch a film I usually give it like 20 minutes usually within the first 20 minutes I know I know if this is a film that I want to go the distance with or if I want to just let it go and sometimes that's hard for me like sometimes even if I don't love a film like when I was watching Les Okra the ogres when I was watching it I wanted to give up at one point I was like this is too much but I stayed with it you know I, I for some reason I was like I gotta stay with this and then there are other films where I'm just like I I don't want to do this like I have other things I want to do I want to listen to a podcast I want to read a book you know I want to dedicate my time to something else so usually within the first 20 minutes I know 
It's sort of similar with a book, like the first 20 or 30 pages of a book. If I really like it, then I'll know. There's got to be something there that I can grab onto and that I can connect with. And um, I'm someone, I tend to be interested in a story, in a narrative. Not everybody's like that. Some people are much more interested in like film theory and they're you know they're very interested in the placement of the camera and the technical aspects and this and that for me it's about the story and it's about the narrative and um if i think that if that is compelling to me then i will watch it and um and sometimes it can be the visuals it can you know i've watched films that didn't necessarily have a plot i watch a lot of um you know, foreign films and art house films that have hardly any plot. They not much happens. Um, not much happens at all. But I will continue to watch them because I still think that they're compelling, and I still think that there's something interesting and important about the film. So it's not about action. You know, when I say narrative and story. It's not about, oh, is there a lot of stuff happening? It's just about, is this something that compels me? Is there something in this film that I find interesting and that I want to stay with? And sometimes you have to give up. Sometimes you got to move on. You got to find something different and something else. You know, I wouldn't say that like a Robert Bresson film, there's not always a lot going on. I watched A Man Escaped recently. It's a, it's a, it's a bit of a slow film, but it's a precise film. And it's a film that knows exactly what it's doing. And the imagery is powerful, and the way that Bresson filmed it is powerful, even though not much happens at all, you know. It's, it's a slow film, but I like slow films. I really do, for the most part. Or Chantal Ackerman. Her films are very slow. You know, No Home Movie is was a slow film. South, another another of her films, or um, From the East, um, another film. Her films tend to be slower, but those visuals and the imagery and what she's trying to convey is what grabs me and keeps me watching. So, yeah. So I give a film usually about 20 minutes and if it's if it's good then I'll stick with it, you know. And I think that's important to give yourself that permission to say, you know what? This is not for me. Even if Caitlin from Her Head in Films from the Her Head in Films podcast, even if she says it's great and that I should watch it, I can't do it. And that's okay cuz I'm not perfect. I am 27 years old. I have not seen every film. There is a lot missing from my film vocabulary. I haven't watched enough Japanese cinema. I haven't watched enough Asian cinema. I haven't watched enough Arab cinema and Middle Eastern and African cinema. And I'm aware of that. You know what I mean? I have flaws. I know that's hard to believe. But I don't know everything, y'all. You know, I'm, I'm learning. I only got into Art House Cinema in 2011. I've only been watching for about six years. 
I don't know all, know it all. I'm not the know all or the end all when it comes to films. But I started this podcast because I wanted to talk about some films. I'm by no means an expert. I didn't go to film school. I'm not highly read on film theory. I'm not Pauline Kael, okay, or Roger Ebert. Um, You know, I'm learning as I go, and I'm discovering things. And there's so much that I haven't seen, and so much that I want to see. And, um, you know, films that I'm talking about now, in a few years, I may be like, what was I thinking? Like, what did I see in that film? My tastes are evolving. My tastes are changing. You know, if I recommend a film on this podcast and you try to watch it and you think it's shit, well then, that's okay. You know, you have your own opinions. You have your own subjective thoughts and, you know what I mean? It's okay. (laughs) It's okay if you don't like a film that I recommend, you know? And I have other people recommend films to me sometimes and I'm like, what the hell? I don't like this at all, you know? You have to find out what you love. You have to find out what speaks to you. I've gotten to the point where I don't even read reviews that much. Like, I don't even... I want to get some of that noise out because sometimes the internet can become noise and it can just become this place where there's a million million opinions about everything. And you've got to figure out what you care about and what you love and why you love it. And what it is about a film or a certain film that captures you and that you think is important. And these films become part of our lives. They really do. The best ones do. The best ones become part of your life. And you think about them and certain things, uh, you know, trigger that film or make you think about that film. And it becomes a part of your life, you know. And that's okay. And that's what a film should be, right? I mean, why else are we doing this? Why else are we, like, watching cinema if you don't want it to become a part of your life, you know? So... I enjoyed the My French Film Festival. I look forward to it next year. It was a nice little reprieve from reality. The dark, dark political reality that's happening right now, especially in the United States. Um, so, it's nice to watch films and to just, like, get away from some of that. But not all films are escapism. You know, not all films sort of take us out of our lives. Sometimes they take us to the heart of our lives. They take us even deeper. You know, Parisian and A Decent Man, they were about the realities of today. The realities of immigration. The realities of of white men committing violence because they feel attacked or they feel under siege even though they're not but they feel that way they feel destabilized you know men put Donald Trump into office he had strong support among men and strong support among white people so we need more films that talk about white masculinity I think or that critique it not necessarily to talk about it but critique it Because it's a a real problem. But at the same time, we need much more films about the Ahmeds of the world. And the immigrants 
of the world and their lives and their voices. I mean, just today or just a few days ago, in in somewhere, two men were shot. I think one man died um, because a white man went into a bar and he said, "Get out of my country." And then he shot them because he thought they were Middle Eastern. They were actually Indian. Um, but he thought they were Middle Eastern and he shot them and I think one of them died. That's That happened here in the United States. That's really happened. So yeah, we, we need the Ahmeds of the world on film. We need them on television. We need them everywhere and in literature. We need Muslim voices. We need Middle Eastern voices. We need marginalized voices to be in the mainstream as much as possible. And I think film can be part of that. And so I'm glad to see that there is French cinema being made about certain segments of the population. Another really good film is Fatima um, or Fatima. And that's on Netflix. F-A-T-I-M-A. And that's about... Muslim women adjusting to life in France. The difficulties of it and their experience. And I thought it was really good. I saw that last year, I think. We need more films like that always. Always, always, always. Because telling stories is important. And I know films don't change the world. I know films don't stop wars. I know films don't don't have that kind of power, you know, but we need to keep telling stories and telling the stories of people. We need people telling their own stories who are part of these very marginalized, dehumanized, degraded populations. The people who are constantly blamed and put down. I was telling my mom today, I was like, we were leaving a restaurant or something. And I was like, when did immigrants become the sole reason for every bad thing that happens in the world? When did they become the number one enemy? When did this happen? How did this happen? Because if you look at the facts, it's not immigrants causing the problems in this world. It's the rich, it's corporations, it's the greedy, it's, you know, <laughs> it's dictators and megalomaniacs and, you know, um, you know, <laughs> it's not immigrants. Like, I just, I wake up every day and I'm like, is this really happening? Like, is this the person who's in power? Is this the person that's a TV, a reality TV star? Is running our country? Oh my god. I want to just crawl into a hole. It upsets me. It devastates me. <sighs> Y'all, I can't deal. I can't deal with this. To see what's happening to my country. <sighs> To see the pain, to see the hate, to see the violence, to see immigrants targeted and attacked, to see them dehumanized, 
it hurts me and it disturbs me and I don't know what to do I feel very helpless we're protesting we're speaking out we're doing what we can but it's scary I have to stay away from the news because it's so toxic to me and to my body like I can't I have to survive the next four years or more okay I have to survive I have to find a way to survive because as I've said I have mental illness I have I have a lot of things that I go through each day sometimes is just a, a battle to survive and I have to prioritize my health and my mental health and I have to do what I can to get through each day and it's very difficult sometimes and I have to stay away from the news and I want to stay informed I don't want to shut the world out you know I want to be informed but what do you do when information becomes toxic when you don't have the power to change it literally you one person cannot change this I often feel in despair and I try to resist it I try to resist despair like no no I'm not gonna fall into despair I'm not gonna do this you know but it's hard it's so very hard I can't believe we're at this point I really can't and so films help me they help me stay grounded they help me stay hopeful <laughs> they help me live and they remind me that there's power in stories there's power in um, telling stories and letting people tell their own stories and have a voice because what's very dangerous is when we don't hear the stories of Muslim people or immigrants when their lives are made invisible and and worthless you know so I feel like you know films can be one tiny part of that and so can literature and so can television and other forms of culture you know Rebecca Solnit writes about it in her book Hope in the Dark she writes about how often big policy changes first started as a change in the imagination when people were able to imagine a different way you know when people were able to imagine you know maybe you know African Americans deserve their civil rights you know and even though we're not there yet and we still have a ways to go you know for full civil rights for African Americans and other groups of people a major step in getting to these policies is a change in the imagination is a change in the way that people think if we can get people to change the way they think about Muslims or the way they think about immigrants if we can disperse some of the fear that surrounds certain groups of people then maybe we can fight back and maybe we can change the way certain groups of people are treated 
if we can change people's hearts and minds. And maybe I'm naive. Maybe I am. But I do believe that. I have to believe that. I have to believe something. I have to believe something. And I believe in cinema. And I believe in literature. And so I believe in those things. And I build my life on them. I live for them. I live through them. I live with them. And I put my hope into them. I really do. And so, I think that's the best place to stop here. And I do thank you for listening. Thank you. Bye.